Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. Shalom from here in Israel. Today I have the great honor of welcoming a true friend of the fellowship and a champion of Israel and the Israeli people, Ambassador Danny Danone. In 2015, Ambassador Danone became Israel's 17th permanent representative to the United Nations. During his five years in that role, he earned a reputation as one of Israel's most ardent advocates on the world stage. At the UN, he became the first Israeli to lead a UN committee. He served as vice president of the General Assembly for the 2017 to 2018 session. Ambassador Danone initiated numerous resolutions that changed Israel's standing at the UN. He has previously served as a member of the Knesset, Israel's parliament from the Likud party. He's also served as the Minister of Science, Technology, and Space as the Deputy Minister of Defense. And today, Ambassador Danone continues to serve as the chairman of the World Likud. Ambassador Danone recently authored an amazing book about his time at the UN titled Into the Lion's Den, Israel and the World, which details the backstory of his struggles and successes while representing Israel on the global stage. And I know we'll talk more about that in the podcast today. So for now, Ambassador Danone, welcome and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Yael. It's, it's my pleasure and I'm very happy that you enjoyed the, the read. Yes, it gave so many interesting, fascinating, important accounts from behind the scene that we don't always see, which kind of fills in so many of the gaps for me. And I know for so many others, when we just see the headlines and what's happening, and we're going to go a lot more deep into your book, which has so many lessons that I think are relevant to all of us, wherever we're listening from today. But before we get to your book, I would love to go back to the beginning and hear what originally attracted you to public service. You have such an impressive resume of being a servant to the Israeli people. And I was just wondering what inspired you to follow that route? Well, it started very early in elementary school, when I was reading so many books, mainly about the modern history of Israel, about the undergrounds fighting the British mandate. And that gave me like a real inspiration to, to know more and to be active. And I started to be very active at a very young age. I even recall that when I was 11, I organized a demonstration against the Minister of Finance, who was a neighbor of mine. By the way, he was from the Likud party, so it wasn't political. But because there was a, 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 a recession that time, many people lost their jobs. And I, I told to my friends, we have to do something about that. And it continued mainly after I finished my service in the IDF, I, I started to be more active promoting Zionism, uh, Jewish education, and that led me also to public life and to politics. 
Wow, that you realized from a young age that it's in your hands to implement the change that you want to see. Exactly. And even today, you know, we'll talk more about what's happening today. But, you know, after coming back from the UN, people ask me, why you want to go back to, to public life? You have so many possibilities and so many options. And I said, yes, you know, it's very lucrative to do other things. But uh, if you want to make change, you, ha you have to be there in the places where you can actually defend the Jewish people, promote uh, your values. And that's why I encourage, you know, many youngsters when I speak to them to, to join public life. We, we want the good people, the people who care to be in those places. Amazing. Amazing. So you went from an 11-year-old uh, uh, advocate and uh, planning Af Afghanot around in, for your neighbor because you saw people losing their jobs and you wanted to do something about it, to being named ambassador to the UN. What were your fears when you were given this role that was so public that everyone was looking at that you knew that UN isn't always a friend to Israel. What were the fears that you had and what were the hopes that you had in going into that position? So, you know, I, I came with experience. You know, I was a, a member of Knesset, a minister in the government, a deputy minister of defense. So, you know, I, I was I knew I was capable to dealing with our enemies. But, you know, personally, it was a challenge, you know, mainly relocating my family, you know, together with my wife, Tali, and our three children to to take them to a foreign country. Uh, they didn't speak uh, any uh, English back then. So it was also a personal challenge. But uh, at the UN, you know, I always believe in, in, in people, in, in building bridges. You know, it's same, exactly like the fellowship, that uh, the great work that your, your late father initiated. It's all about building bridges. So I realized that I have to build bridges to, to people. And that's what I did, you know, very slowly, uh, patiently. I was able to build you know, uh, bridges to many countries. And today we see the fruits of that when we speak about the Abraham Accords and many other achievements. It started, you know, in very discreet, uh, small meetings. Yes, definitely that human connection is what could change the world, the grassroots model that my father, of blessed memory, Rabbi Chielexi, when he started the fellowship, next year we're celebrating 40-year anniversary. Um, nobody thought that that idea would work. Nobody thought that anything would come of this dream of bridging Jews and Christians. And he started one by one by one speaking and finding the common ground, which was a love for Israel. Until when he died uh, three years ago, the fellowship had over 300,000 donors um, and many other friends and people connected to it. And the legacy of my father, that three years after his death, we now have over 600,000 donors, people who are standing tangibly, not only in prayer, not only in uh, writing to their congr local congressmen and women, not only advocating for Israel's peace and security, but giving financially from the little they have in order to help people in Israel is something that all starts from that human one-on-one -on -one connection. So I see it on a relatively small scale with the fellowship. What you saw in the UN and what you were able to achieve there through those human connections is something that on a global scale has made such a huge impact. And you speak that a little, about that a little bit in your new book, The Lion's Den. Um, what moved you to write this book? So, uh, you know, I wrote my first book 10 years ago. And, and it's, you know, you know, it's not easy to write a book. And I, I told myself that's going to be the last time I'm doing that. 
But after I finished a very long, successful service, you know, five years, it's a long period of time. You know, my great friend, Ambassador Nikki Haley, she served only for two years and she achieved so much. So imagine what we did in five years. I felt that, you know, I have to tell the stories. I have to, to name the names, to thank those people who stood with us and those who came against us, you know, for the history. People should know exactly what happened there. And, and I think it's also giving tools to people who want to stand and support Israel. And I know many, many of our audience today, you know, it's people who love Israel and stand with Israel. So, you know, in the book, I, I detailed, you know, what I did when I was had, when I had to face evil, when I was by myself uh, in the lion's den, uh, in the UN halls, how I, I was able to overcome and prevail. So I think, you know, mainly two reasons. First is to set the record straight. And the second is to, to empower and inspire uh, those who fight and stand with us. And I know we have, you know, millions of people who, who love us and support us. And I know they will be more effective after reading the, the book in the lion's den. Amazing. Amazing. There's a wonderful section in your book where you talk about your father, Joseph, and how he made Aliyah with his family from Egypt. And in it, you say how your father's story represents the story of our nation and how it was built. Can you talk a little bit about your father's experience of coming to Israel and what that means to you? You know, uh, when you read the book, you understand that my father uh, influenced my life, uh, even uh, after uh, he passed away many years ago, and he's a strong inspiration for me and for my family. Uh, he came from Egypt. You know, in the Bible, we know about Joseph moving from Israel to Egypt. Uh, with my father, it was the opposite. He, he moved after the establishment of the Jewish state in 1950 with his family from Alexandria, Egypt. And that was a very hard uh, transition because, you know, they used to live in a very comfortable lives in Alexandria, very successful. But when they came to Israel, it was a poor, poor nation. Uh, and, they, and they had to start from, from scratch. You know, when I say start from the scratch, I mean it. Yael, they, they lived in a tent, you know, uh, with the seven uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, for years, I had to struggle to make a living. And even though my father was uh, uh, very uh, involved in school and he loved it, he had to quit school at the age of 15 in order to go and support his family because he was uh, the oldest uh, in the family. So uh, uh, I think that's a real inspiration for us to see what we achieved as a, as a nation, that today we have a strong economy, strong military. Uh, and for my father, you know, he took part of it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, he, he, he was wounded uh, during uh, his military service uh, in 1969, and that's changed his life and my life. Uh, and despite his injury, uh, he was very patriotic and he encouraged me and my brother and sister to be active and to be involved. Uh, and for me, it was a great lesson that, you know, even though he paid such a heavy price, he actually loved the country uh, more than ever. And he taught us to be, to be vocal and to speak on behalf of the nation we love so much. Wow. Wow. It's, uh, it's a lot of times you hear stories of Jews coming from the Holocaust from nothing to Israel and starting life anew, being forced to, to start from the beginning to acquire everything that they ended up having. And here you hear an amazing story, which your father gave up the comfortable life that he had because Israel, not as the land of milk and honey, as far as a better life from a physical um, uh, material position would give him, but because it was his spiritual homeland that he felt this 
urge and calling to return to. So when I was reading about your father, I was struck by two fundamental lessons that you say that you learned from him. The importance of understanding your connection to the land of Israel from a spiritual perspective, and the importance of taking a stand and speaking out. Learning both of these lessons must have served you very well during your time at the United Nations. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that experience, how the lessons that you took from your father, from moving from Alexandria to being wounded in uh, military service, to always drilling down what the state and the land of Israel means to the Jewish people. How did this help you in the lion's den of the UN? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was a... An interesting experience living with my dad. Unfortunately, I wasn't uh, able to spend many years with him. But uh, during the time, you know, when I was a, a child, because uh, he lost his hearing capabilities after he was wounded uh, in the Jordan Valley, uh, in a way, I became uh, his spokesperson. So, and I recall as a child, you know, going with him to government offices or to the bank and, and speaking on his behalf. And he always told me, you know, don't be afraid, you know, when you are right, stand up and, and, and make your claim. And I remember myself as a, as a young, young child, maybe I was five or six years old, uh, entering a, a bank in, in, the, in the town where I grew up in Hamad Gan and arguing with, with, the, with, the, with the director of the bank about something my, my father thought was not right with his account. And when I look back, you know, and I have kids today, I say, listen, I was five, six years old. And I was standing there uh, arguing on behalf of my father. So, so he taught me to not to be afraid and not to be shy. And I think that was a great tool for me in public life, also in the Knesset, but mainly at the UN, that even when I was by myself uh, defending our, our beloved nation, I, wasn't, I had no fear. I stood up very proud, very tall, and I, I, I defended the, our cause. So that, that's something I, I'm grateful for my father. And also, you know, on a, on a deeper level, you know, he always encouraged me to understand the connection of, of the Jewish people to the land. And I did it at the UN. You know, I, I used our religion and tradition as a tool, uh, you know, bringing stories from the Bible, uh, uh, putting my yarmulke during speeches. You know, some diplomats uh, in Israel thought it was not the way to handle diplomacy, but I proved them wrong. I proved them that, you know, we can make friends, people respect you when you respect your heritage. Yes, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, as soon as we're not embarrassed of where we come from, other people re- will relate to it the same way. And the more we shy away and apologize, the more we'll be related to like that. That that was always an inspiring sight to see. Besides your father, have there been other people in public or personal life who you consider inspirations or mentors? I know a lot of people, I'm sure, have influenced you over the years, but is there someone who stands out in any walk of life who has given you the tools that you have needed in order to succeed in everything you've done? Well, one of the greatest leaders which I speak about him in, in my book is a, a former prime minister, Itzhak Shamir. He's not very known but he was a, a, an amazing leader. And I, I had the, the honor to spend quality time with him and to learn from him. And he was a legendary leader because I think he was the last leader uh, that didn't care about the polls. He didn't care about the media, the newspapers. The only thing he cared about is to do what's good for the Jewish people. Uh, and for me, that's something which I, I take with me. That, you know, that uh, 
you have to put everything aside and focus on, on your goal. And one of the stories I, I, I tell in the book, it was the, his decision when he was prime minister to actually argue with, with the U.S. You know, uh, you know, the fellowship did so much to, to support immigration to Israel from the former Soviet Union. And, and back then, you know, many, many uh, Jews who wanted to, to come, to move out from the former Soviet Union, they went directly to the U.S. Uh, and, and they were granted asylum. And, and Shamir, when he met uh, the president and the secretary of state, he told them, you should stop that. You know, they, they are not political refugees. They have a home. Their home is Israel. So you should first allow them to come to Israel. And if after they want to move to the U.S., you know, it's an open country, you can accept them. But first, you know, they shouldn't go from Austria to New York. They should go from Austria to Jerusalem. And, and by doing that, you know, we were blessed to receive more than one million Jews. And then today, it's, you know, when we speak about being a startup nation, and we have such as so many capabilities of our military, we have to remember it's Hak Shamir who, who insisted on that uh, crucial point. Wow, that for the first time the Jewish people have a homeland. It's something that resonated so deep. I was in Moldova uh, a week ago. I was in Ethiopia yesterday. And both times I flew home with uh, fellowship chartered flights of Olim to Israel. And something that kept going through my mind from the first day of the war uh, between Ukraine and Russia, I was in Kiev four days before the war broke out as there were 100,000 troops surrounding Ukraine. I flew into Kiev and visited the Jewish community and the synagogue and something that really resonated so much that Natan Shransky said so beautifully. Uh, to summarize, he said, when I was a child, if it said Jewish on your passport, it meant that nobody wanted you. You had nowhere to go. And you look at the situation in the war today, and if it says Jewish on your passport, it means that there's a country who will do anything to take you in and that you're not a refugee like you're describing with uh, in America, but rather you're able to come home. And so it's such a beautiful, inspiring story do something that could seem so politically incorrect, <laughs> the story that you shared, yet is the deepest truth. And I guess that's what was so special, as you describe about uh, Yitzhak Shamir, that he didn't do what was politically correct necessarily or best in the polls, but what was best for Israel and the Jewish people and, and speaking truth to power, which long term ultimately always leads to the best resolutions. In her introduction to your book, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley says that you and her had a great working relationship. What was it like working with her at the U.N., and how did it feel to know that you finally had an ally at the U.N. who you knew would stand by you? Yeah, Ambassador Haley, she's a great friend of, of the Jewish people and the state of Israel, and, and we achieved so much you know, together at the U.N. We played the offense. And we prove that you can win even in a hostile place like the UN. And I would always cherish, you know, her first visit to Israel. You know, it was my honor to accompany her during her visit. And she saw, first of all, the beauty of, of our land and, and, the, and the history. But most importantly, she, she saw the people of Israel, you know, and, and they were grateful for her. And, and the amount of love she received here, you know, for me, it was a, a great experience because, uh, you know, when you speak at the UN on behalf of Israel, you know, you don't really realize that you're actually defending uh, the people who live here, the people who fight here. And for that, we will always be grateful for her support and for her love. And I'm sure that in, uh, in every uh, position that uh, she will be, she will stay a strong friend of Israel. 
A hundred percent. I actually have a picture here on my wall of uh, me with Nikki Haley during one of her visits to Israel. And and she was telling me how in the UN, it could feel, you don't feel all of the love and support of all of the people of Israel who are standing behind you. You're just doing what you believe is right. And when you come to Israel and feel how appreciated you are, it's not why you do the public service, but it's certainly uh, an important part of realizing this Jewish value, hakarat tov, of giving recognition and appreciation people who fearlessly and and they don't need to stand with us. You have so many achievements and accomplishments from your time at the UN. You've left behind a legacy. Um, but what is one achievement that stands out that you are most proud of? Well, I'm very proud, you know, on the fact that I became the first Israeli ever to get elected and become the chairman of a a UN committee, the legal committee. We have six committees at the UN, and when I decided to run for that position, people were were shocked, uh, and uh, I proved that we, we have support. And, uh, and and in the general assembly, on that vote, we got the support of 119 member states, and only 44 voted against me. And for me, it was it was amazing. You know, a great moment for Israel, a great moment for me personally, uh, to get elected. Uh, and for a year, I chaired the committee, uh, and I was able to prove that yes, yeah, Israel, you know, we are a member state. We are capable of, of uh, taking important positions, uh, and uh, and I think for the future, you know, I paved the way for a- any position at the UN for our future ambassadors. A hundred percent. Something that Ambassador Haley speaks about in her book is how kind of behind the scenes at the UN. People are very open and nice and understanding about both the U.S. and Israel. And it's only once they come to that public place that they start speaking bad about the USA and Israel. And I think that's what leads, in a way, to so much misinformation about Israel today. So I was wondering, did you have that same experience as Ambassador Haley, that behind the scenes people were a lot more appreciative and understanding of Israel's position versus in front of the cameras that they spoke the same rhetoric that we see today? And how do we counter that misinformation with facts so that, as you put it in your book, Israel owns the narrative? Uh, So uh, indeed, you know, I always speak about the gap between the public UN and the private UN. You know, well, you know, in, in politics, yeah, it is quite the opposite. In, in Israeli parliament, people will say good things about you in public, but behind closed doors, it's not always the same. Uh, but when I came to the UN, it was the opposite. You know, publicly, they were putting resolutions against Israel, but privately, they would tell me that they, they admire us and they wanted to get together with me. Uh, and I always pushed them to, to do things publicly. And uh, and I can tell you that I'm I'm happy that I was able to to narrow that gap. You know, we haven't closed it completely, especially when you look about the Abraham Accords. You know, I was cooperating with those countries for years at the UN, and we worked together against Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, and now we do it openly. And I, I you know, I remember when I told them that nothing will happen to you. You will be empowered by recognizing uh, the the cooperation with Israel. And I think today we proved it that those countries became more influential uh, and stronger by publicly acknowledging the relationship with Israel. It's an amazing, it's amazing thing to see, kind of 
play out on the world stage of politics because it's very connected to the spiritual mandate that so many Christians and Jews will quote of Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And we see that so directly that these Abraham Accords have brought revealed blessings, both financially, politically, trade-wise, uh, to the countries who have openly stood with Israel. So uh, as I see that in the kind of humanitarian world of Genesis 12-3 come to life, that so many churches who, who, who show me sometimes graphs of this is before we started tithing into Israel, and you know, they're pretty steady. This is when we started tithing into Israel, and suddenly their income grows tremendously, and their attendance grows tremendously. Um, so to hear you speak about that as far as politics and on the world stage, it's an amazing uh, correlation that there is um, there's a blessing to Israel and those who, who stand with us. Speaking of, um, as you know, many of the listeners here, many of people who the fellowship works with and, and, and who work with the fellowship in order to bless Israel and the Jewish people are Christians. And so if you could speak a little bit to the importance of Christian support for Israel, and as we see the next generation in many ways disconnecting from this uh, passion for Israel or spiritual connection to Israel, do you have any guidance on, uh, on, on for them, speaking directly to them, how they can influence others, what they could say, what they could look at in order to continue strengthening that support for Israel with the next generation of Christians? First, you know, I always uh, value the, the work of the fellowship and, uh, and working with our Christian allies all around the world. You know, we, we are grateful for that, you know, for their prayers, for their support. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we can achieve so much together also in the future. Uh, I agree with you that we have that challenge with the young generation uh, and we have to work harder to get them more involved. From my experience, you know, the best way to get people involved with Israel is to bring them to Israel. You know, in, in, in the book, in the Lions Den, I discussed uh, uh, the initiative I started to bring UN ambassadors to Israel. And it wasn't easy at the beginning because you know, they were reluctant about taking sides or coming with me. But, you know, after the first delegation, you know, it became much easier. And, and I think, you know, if we, the more, uh, you know, students, and I, there are a few programs that are doing it, but the more people who, that we will be able to expose them to Israel, you know, they, they will be our allies for, for all their life. So uh, I think we should put more efforts. Uh, and I also, you know, for the Israeli government, you know, we... We sponsor uh, visits of uh, Jewish youngsters to come to Israel. Uh, I think it's important strategically for us also to, to do partnership uh, in order to bring uh, you know, uh, Jewish leaders from campuses, from churches, uh, and get the next generation more knowledgeable about what's happening here. Definitely. Once you walk the soil of Israel, you are never the same. Suddenly everything that you've been reading about comes to life and, and for, for good and for bad in every way. I think spiritually you feel that, but also something that everyone says, all the, Jews and Christians, when I meet with them in Israel, is that the only thing they knew about Israel were, were these two sides of the purely spiritual and purely political. And you realize when you're walking on the ground of Israel that 
you feel at home. It's not defined by either one of those, but rather it's the nuances of day-to-day life, of the many different colors and cultures and people coming together in mutual love and respect and a very um, uh, dedicated love for each other in the land of Israel. And and what I always say is uh, Israel's the safest place to live as far as I'm concerned, especially for the Jewish people, because it's the only country in the world where there is a government and an army who's dedicated to one thing, keeping my children safe. And I think about when I grew up in America, what, what was I told when I would go out? Don't speak to strangers. And raising four children here in Israel, I tell them every time they leave the house, if you need anything, you ask the person next to you. So that sense of community and brotherhood that both Christians and Jews feel when they come here, it gives that kind of full perspective of people don't make aliyah to Israel because of the politics. People don't make aliyah or move anywhere because of the politics. It's it's the human connection. It's the day-to-day. It's on the radio hearing Shabbat Shalom on Friday before the Sabbath. Um, So I I am uh, totally with you that we have to get Christians to Israel in order to experience the whole package of what the modern miraculous state of Israel is. The last question that I want to ask you, Ambassador Danone, is something that I always uh, ask all of my guests. If you could share either a Bible verse or a Bible hero who has inspired you, going back to the theme of your book, especially when you're in those lowest places and the lion's den, what do you turn to for inspiration and hope? So, you know, I, I got involved, you know, by knowing the history of the land and traveling the land. And I, I try to do the same with my kids today, you know, to take the Bible and, and to travel and to show them, you know, the rhythm stories from the Bible and, and show them exactly, you know, uh, where our ancestors uh, uh, were uh, living, you know, many, many years ago. And, and for me, you know, whenever I speak about Joshua uh, and about uh, his acts to conquer and to defend the Jewish people, that's something which I cherish a lot because I, I think it's important for us to understand that, you know, we have to depend uh, on ourselves uh, in order to, to be strong. And yes, we have allies and we are grateful for their friendship. But at the end, we, we need to be able to defend ourselves. And, and it was exactly the same with the days of Joshua. With God's help and blessing, he was able to, to uh, re-liberate uh, the land. And it's also true today that, you know, my, my son is in the IDF and, and we, we, our boys and girls are protecting us uh, 24-7. And we are all grateful for that, that today we have an independent nation protecting us and we should not take it for granted. A hundred percent. And I love that. There was Moses who left, took the people out of Egypt, uh, with the miracles from God. And then there was Joshua who had to rely on the human strength while in prayer and God supporting them. That That's exactly where we're at today. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for your precious time. I know you're very busy, especially now, but we appreciate you being on this uh, podcast. And I know I learned so much and I'm ending this so inspired. So before you go, could you tell our listeners where they can find your book and how they can follow you and all of the exciting day-to-day happenings and um, achievements that you continue to do for the state of Israel? Sure. My book in the Lion's Den is available now on, on Amazon and the bookstores, and uh, it's in a, a great read, and I, I'm sure your your followers will enjoy the read, and I would love them to, to read and, and, and write to me on, on Facebook and uh, Twitter what they, they think about it. 
And, and I want to thank you, Yael, for the great work that you do with your great team in the fellowship. You know, I had the honor to, to work with your, with your late father. He was a great leader. And I, you know, we, we, we accomplished a lot together. And we are very proud of the fact that you continuing, you know, building those amazing bridges. So I want to thank you personally for that. Thank you so much, Ambassador Danone, and uh, continue to do everything that you do for us, for our future, for our children, for our country. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.